Masonic history is often shared about the major events throughout our history. Grand jurisdictions, grand masters, very influential things. But since we've started Historical Light, what we've really loved to cover is those more intimate stories of our local brothers, our local lodges. To hear about how those brick and mortar situations brought masonry into what it is today. Tonight, we're doing just that by covering the history of a lodge in South Pasadena, California. We have an epic brother on here this evening that's joining us to walk us through that amazing history and share some of the awesome tales behind it and some of the individuals that have brought that lodge to what it is today and how they've impacted masonry as a whole. So stick with us. We have an excellent episode for you right after this on Historical Life. Welcome back to the Historical Light Masonic Podcast, dedicated to illuminate our past and bring our Masonic history to light since 2016. Enjoy the show. Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers, past master of Gardner Lodge here in Kansas, and currently serving as the director of the Kansas Lodge of Research. And we have with us a very special guest this evening, two time zones away he's joining us from, Brother Dago Rodriguez from California. My brother, if you don't mind, I'll hand it over to you for more formal introductions. Thank you, Brother Alex. Thank you for having me on the show. Appreciate the invitation to talk about our little lodge. As you mentioned, my name is Dago Rodriguez. I'm the current master of the Southern California Research Lodge, managing editor of the Fraternal Review magazine. I currently serve in the Grand Lodge Freemason Magazine Committee and in the Education Committee. I'm a two-time past master of South Pasadena, Sonic Lodge number 290. I serve in their Illumination Lecture Series Committee and their Education Committee as well. And their and in their uh, Masonicon planning committee. Fantastic! Yeah, that's right. You guys did hold a Masonicon there, and I definitely want to talk about that. Before we get too deep into that, I want to do some icebreaker as far as getting to know you a little bit and introduce you to the viewers. So we usually start this off by asking, "What family history do you have in Freemasonry, and is that what got you into Freemasonry? If you have it, or what is it that got you to the point of saying, "I want to join this craft." I do not have any history that I know of in free Freemasonry at all. I was uh, curious and I had a friend in college film school uh, by the name of Eval Johnson, who, who I saw had heard was a Mason and I was at his house and I had, I saw the Freemasonry for dummies book on his desk and I go, yeah. Hey, is that any good? And he goes, Oh yeah, it's great. You know, I'm one, right? And that's how the conversation started. I was invited to a dinner. And before you knew it, I was being initiated to become Mason. That's fantastic, man. Yeah. Fantastic. So since you became a Mason, what is it that has kept you around? What's keeping that fire alive for you? Oh, man, that's such a great question. It's, I think there's a lot of different layers. I think I just fundamentally i see how i put the masonic philosophy up against any other philosophy and it still turns out to be the most beneficial to me 
I see the truth within it and how it applies to everything that we do around us, not just myself. Mm. And I see how it connects in those ways. So that that and the idea of being able to uh, inspire the incoming generations of brothers into these lodges that later can become much more stronger men out in the real world also it's is is an inspiration to me that keeps the fires going and keeps me involved in the craft definitely definitely that's beautiful man and you know you've been one that's inspired me in your path i, I got a chance to see one of your presentations live when we we're both up at masonic in chicago and you know i gotta say that blew me away uh, just the multi-level concept of the presentation you did, which was comparing Freemasonry to the movie Fight Club, which I'll be honest, going into it, I didn't know where you were going to go with that because I'm like, what comparison? When you broke down how a movie's made and, and the storyline and how to really you know understand that story behind the scenes, it, it was unbelievable. And it made me look at not only the movie a different way, but also Masonry in a different way as well. So, uh, so glad that you have found a place in this craft and that it's keeping you here because you're doing some great things, my brother. Thank you. And, um, you know, I was, it was, it was fun, right. Being in Chicago Masonic con, like right in 2020, right. That's September. 2020. Yeah. Yeah. It was right. Like clearing pandemic, but not really. Yeah. We were in one of those bumps, right? <laughs> yeah. And it was the first time I did that lecture live. And since then I've kind of, it's kind of grown and gotten stronger, which I'm, kind of impressed with because the more it's funny it's one of those things that you peel the onion more and more the more you find these other connections and it becomes this deeper thing that you'll never fully finalize but it's always interesting to make these other connections to it just like masonry definitely you know that that's one thing i enjoy so much about masonic speakers uh today that we see these these talks and often the times you know brothers get invited all over so especially in the digital age we have now we see the the same talks offered over and over but like you just mentioned i've noticed so many brothers take the aspect where we're all learning and that, that's never ending and that flows right into the presentations we do and oftentimes those presentations are never ending in their development you know you're just you're at a point that you can deliver it but it may have a whole lot more com or uh, content the next time you see it or some completely different concepts so absolutely. it's a neat transition absolutely well before we get into our main topic this evening which we're going to be talking about your lodge south pasadena and man i was looking up some of the history behind it you guys blew me away. You've got some really influential characters. So really looking forward to digging or doing a deep dive into your lodge and the history on that side of our nation. Before we get too deep into it, we want to give you guys an opportunity to join the team here at Historical Light. Uh, we are viewer funded. We've been around since 2016 and want to keep on going. So if you want to join the mission with us and help us do that, you can go to our website, historicallight.com backslash support or click support the show up in the menu and you can support the show through Patreon. Uh, different level of support get you different benefits such as lapel pins private access all kinds of goodies so do that and we appreciate you supporting us we are also hosting masonic con kansas we're talking about masonic con or spml's masonic con and masonic con chicago all these guys have been kind of twisting my arm over the last couple years and we are indeed bringing it to kansas so if you want to attend that, it's our inaugural event. You can go to MasonicConKansas.com. We still have a few of the uh, full day or Founders Club passes, which include the day event plus the evening festive board. And we would love to see you out here in the Kansas City area in August. 
So MasonicConKansas.com. With that, my brother, I want to dive into your lodge and the history here. You shared with me a video, and do you mind if we uh, if we show that here? Sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's go for it. So I, let me see can you real quick. All right. Well, that one. Uh, let's go the here. The way I define a lodge is the lodge is the people. People say, I'm going to the lodge, meaning the building. Uh, wherever the group meets, it is the lodge at that time. And men come into here after the rough and rugged day that they've had, and they know they're going to be safe. If they're feeling that guaranteed, somebody's going to grab them, take them up, dust them up, and they'll be fine. We all build upon one another. A lodge is a place where a group of men can meet safely and discuss ideas and enjoy in the philosophical search of how to better improve themselves. What is a lodge? It can be anything you want it to be. From my perspective, as someone who wanted to make inroads into the community, I see it as a cornerstone of the community. A lodge is the group of guys and their relationship. And if you have a solid foundation of brothers, of friends who like to spend time with each other, who like to discuss the things that we're interested in in masonry and things outside of masonry and have a good time with each other, that's a lodge. What makes the lodge is the people. It's kind of a, like a tribal connection. This is my tribe and the past masters are the elders and we're all on the level and we're all coming from different parts of society and different social economic backgrounds. But somehow when we're all here, just, everything just fires perfectly. How cool is that? <laughs> you guys did a phenomenal job on that. How do we, how do we top that one? Jeez. I know that was fantastic. So obviously, uh, for the guys listening to the audio podcast side, you definitely need to check out the video side to catch at least that clip. Uh, it went through showcasing a lot of the historical milestones year by year, uh, showing some of the very influential members and different milestones throughout the lodge and just such a cool project to put together for 130th anniversary. Uh, so hats off to you guys on that. It was fantastic. Uh, who, who was behind that? Who did all the editing there? Um, I conceptualized it and this um, brother named Gabe, Gabriel Mann, we hired, well, actually he's not a brother, he's an editor, uh, videographer, and he um, he's a talented guy that we thought could handle this. And brother Brian Godwin actually did, he's an actual brother, he did the special effects that you saw in the start of that. Uh, a couple of us, I'm, I'm, a couple of brothers are, are camera guys, so they filmed the opening uh, interviews it was so it was like this big hodgepodge of different things that had to come together to make it work but definitely the gabe's contribution really made it look slick professional and pretty cool to put in the time capsule as to where we've come from and where we're at at this point with the lodge so it was cool and important to do 
I think. Especially Definitely. Where everything's so visual. Um, but yeah, and that was for the 130th anniversary that we celebrated in June of 2018. Fantastic. Fantastic. So diving into that video, man, that sets me off there. So I've got to learn about this lodge. Tell me, where did you guys start? And where does the story of South, Path, uh, South Pasadena Lodge start with you guys? Well, the story of South... <laughs> uh, this Pasadena City, back in the late 1800s, was a, its own... It, it, it was a city, and then there was... Then there was South Pasadena that's that became a city, I believe, in 1888, if I'm not mistaken, or 1905. I think it was 1888, if not 1905, because that's when we got our charter at the lodge for South Pasadena. And basically, it was people that did not want alcohol to be licensed or sold in their neighborhood. So they didn't really? have okay. bars, liquor stores, or that sold alcohol, so they prohibited it in the south end of pasadena and created their own city to avoid that from happening and that's how south pasadena really started it was these it was uh, uh this this uh neighborhood family oriented that did not want alcohol to come into the vicinity and this is where amongst the orange groves in south pasadena this small city was born and still remains relatively small there's like a freeway that runs uh next to it that unless they bulldoze it you can't really expand it more so it's kind of there and it's not going anywhere and it's turned into a pretty influential city in la los angeles county uh so with that being said in 1905 the mayor at that time named jb soper who was a brother from a different lodge uh was asking brothers to come and open a lodge at south pasadena and that's how south pasadena got its dispensation dispensation in 1905 now through the course of the of the years we've had about 13 lodges eventually merge into our lodge that have wow from the local vicinity so i actually pulled out the 125th anniversary program which we sort of outline we put a we put a grid together of all the lodges let's see it but there's all the lodges that have come in from the surrounding areas that have merged together and eventually ended up merging with our lodge, South Pasadena. And that's that's really how we've been around. I think when we first started in 1905, we didn't have a home. We rented spaces on second floors of these different buildings, three actually. And in 1929, the, the the a hall association was started where it was recommended to buy the building that we're currently in it was it was okay shops. it was five shops first floor only we had a couple of brothers that were structural engineers at that time that came and looked at it and said yeah we could build on top of this and call it our, our own and they took out a loan for one hundred thousand dollars which back in the day was a lot of money and they and a brother architect uh richard farrell was his name designed it and they hired mostly brother uh, painters, construction workers, tile men to put the to build the lodge on top of this strip mall, basically. And that's where we've been since 19, uh, 1930, when it was officially inaugurated. Now, the Great Depression was in between all this. So they were in fear that maybe with the Great Depression, things are we might not be able to finish this. But 
it actually worked yeah. in our favor because things were cheaper labor was cheaper people wanted to work uh materials were cheaper so they actually came under budget and i believe in 1949 they had the mortgage buildings dinner ceremony where they burned the mortgage because they were able to pay off the building by then uh now <laughs> so cool but that doesn't really give us over 130 years or 133 years is that where we're at? that's where we're at now we merged with a lodge called sunset eastgate that's near okay. lincoln heights near south pasadena and we still actually own that building and we we rent it out but we still have a hall association that runs the building and everything but that lodge merged with us and that lodge got their charter in 1888 so I don't know how it works right in other jurisdictions, but here, if you merge with a lodge that is um, older than you, you end up uh, getting their number and um, accumulating their years since they got their charter. They got their charter in oh wow, their number was 290. We got our charter in 1905. Our number was uh, 367, I believe. Yeah, 367. Okay. <laughs> so that's cool. After, uh, after that merger which actually happened in the 90s believe it or not our lodge number went from 367 to 290. okay but we still kept the south pasadena because it's the city name and that name never changed but yeah i think the lot the in looking at the history the last mergers we had were in the 90s where we had three different lodges that merged with us in the mid 90s and since then we haven't really had much of the mergers and this why my video like that we just saw is important because when i first came to the lodge in 2009 like there was there was no sense of identity sure in the lodge in the walls of the lodge it had these cool display cases down this hall and they had a lot of blank walls but not a lot of history but even but you went in the lodge and that's why i felt them i fell in love with the lodge you felt it you felt that there was this energy at this lodge that mm that that hadn't been tapped into but there was it was lived there was the history was somewhere in there and not until the 125th anniversary which was the very first video we did which i sent you like this morning um did we discover all these nuggets of of of, of history that were hidden in the basement so that that anniversary we pulled all that stuff out studied it did a huge 125th anniversary historical program with wow. every, all as much information that we could about our lodge's history through the decades and then afterwards blew up some of these images and pictures and put on display some of these um, uh, objects and trinkets all over the lodge so we could we could really feel what what we need to live up to you know that sure. what our four, who were the four brothers that were around um before we were here and what we need to do to keep that history and tradition going you know without burning the lodge down or getting it closed or shut down <laughs> <laughs> definitely so so you mentioned uh going down to the basement and finding a bunch of history and artifacts like what kind of stuff are you talking about what did you find down there attic actually it was an attic oh is that um, attic? okay if you ever visit i'll take you upstairs and you know uh oh, i well, have to now there was and i pulled it out for you uh first there was this uh, past master named Tony Fairfield and okay. Tony did us a service Tony Fairfield wrote the first history book of our lodge that he self-published um, and it was and he was around for the 125th anniversary he passed away I think four years ago and he, he gave me the, the, this copy and he said well look here's a, and he had a little box 
with all the research that he had done on the lodge and some of the pictures that he printed in the book in the box that he had at his home and he brought it over so we can create the program. But he goes there, I think there's more stuff up in the attic and there's some filing cabinets in the back closet. You might want to go through that. Well, that became the scavenger hunt of the of the decade, if not the century, because all of a sudden you were finding more black and white photos. You were right. real uh, events, programs. Um, what did we find? I think it was stacks of pictures that were printed that we hadn't seen before, especially back in the day. I was told it was really difficult to afford nice black and white master's portraits and officer. Sure officer pictures so if you had one printed it was like a big deal uh we also found uh photo albums from anniversaries that like the wives had put together that nobody had seen before some cool eight late 1800 photographs from that first lodge that that from from sunset eastgate lodge that had merged with us that we had never seen like that mac the mcintyre the first master of Sunset Lodge. We had never seen a picture of them. And there it was in a nice little, you know, uh, black and white image in this photo album. Uh, public schools. Back in the day, we celebrate one day of public school acknowledgement here in California. Back in the day, it was like a whole week event. And these really put like a book together of like all the schools they went to for that week, pictures, who got the prizes, what awards they handed out. Um, uh, obviously, like pins, badges, hats. I mean, there was just a, it was, uh, and a lot of ledgers for sure, paperwork. The minutes were always kept in the secretary's office. So there was, you know, we found that was always, you know, in a safe place. But sure, like old treasurer ledgers we found, um, other lodges that merged with us, their stuff, like especially like their Bibles. We found a lot of these lodges' Bibles that were in storage that they had since their inception back in the early 1900s that eventually ended up with us um we also have we didn't find it because we had it on display already but we have a george washington apron supposedly that was down to one of his treasury guys back back in the day when he was alive supposedly he would wear different masonic aprons and if you were a brother and you you, you knew him he would hand it to you uh but we had our grand lodge uh, California archivists come by and say, well, that is an authentic, uh, an authentic late 1700s apron. It looks like, but there was, there were a lot of, um, there were a lot of similar ones that were created at that, that, that copied the style that George Washington wore that were sure. sold to different Masons. And that could have been one of those. And unless you have something clear that it says, cause we got it in a glass case, from one of the lodges that merged with us, supposedly he was a great, 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 great descendant from the brother that received it from George Washington back in Virginia. They later sounds moved. like there's a strong possibility. I mean, regardless, it looks it's like been it. authenticated. I mean, it's, in a, it's in an airtight case, and we were like, right. "Well, we don't want to open that case because we don't want that apron to disintegrate in our hands." But we'd rather tell you the story, and if you don't believe it, fine. But it's a good story to tell, <laughs> you know. So it's. I mean. It, it sounds like there's strong a strong possibility there, but oh, regardless, sure. they've authenticated it to at least that time period. So, regardless, that is that is a very rare artifact to have. So that's some of the cool art. We have some cool display cases down the hall and artifacts in there from the different lodges. And also, we created the anniversary staircase, which in that video you kind of saw a snippet from in 2014, 
we got this hall association to put up a couple of thousand dollars to change the lighting repaint it frame things and large things shadow box items and we 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 put it in this staircase that leads up to the lodge from the main entrance okay on fair oak street so people can walk in through that main entrance and really get a sense of history right off the bat of what this lodge is where this lodge comes from and the men that were involved in building this lodge which i think it's neat i think it's important to 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 have a sense of what you're stepping into besides yeah it's masonry is the it's members it's made up of yeah the building blocks of a lodge are the members without the members you don't have a lodge so to see and these images of the members that were there i think adds a a perspective for sure yeah you know i i totally agree with you there and i think it's impactful to a large level um because we're we're all masons in the modern day and we all have our little you know riffs with our lodge and oh we're struggling to get this and all struggling to get that and yada yada and it's easy to get caught up in you and right now but thinking back about all the brothers over the hundreds of years that have had you know those struggles to keep that lodge and build that lodge to what it is today uh at least in my situation has really grounded me on a level to think man you know i i'm carrying the torch but this was a huge project in the making and to be able to you know memorialize that path uh, i think is what well, is it impactful do you, do you feel it's inspiring to see the legacy that they mm. set at the lodge for us to then enjoy and then it makes doesn't it make you question like well, so what kind of legacy am i going to leave behind here 100% yeah so it is that sort of inspiration maybe some would say it's also ego, but I think it fuels that idea of being alive and being able to contribute something important to society and sure. to the people you're going to call brothers around you. And also right. to the community. Whenever we open the lodge to the community, this is one of the first things that they see or get a tour. We'll give them tours and explain a lot of the things in that inter- anniversary staircase. So they get an understanding that this lodge has been here as long as the city has been here. Right. You know, these are the building blocks of this city and the men that help, you know, helped it grow and become what it is today. So if you appreciate living here, look at the people that some of the people that were responsible for making that happen. They were members of this lodge. You know, that I agree with you. And I look back at my lodge and so many other lodges and just that fact uh, definitely strikes me. And yeah, I guess it could be compared to ego. I, I don't personally see it that way as far as holding up to the bigger picture because we look, and, and granted, you know, we're looking at a lot of these towns and it was an earlier time, you know, smaller towns. So there was less people, yada, yada. But we look at our Masonic lodges and, you know, looking through your lodges is just the same here. It's filled with mayors and authors and, and film directors. And, you know, when I look at the early history of Gardner Lodge here, you know, we, we've got mayors and uh, first sheriffs and first surgeons of the area and guys that were doing stuff to grow the community and really set the course. Like our first uh, master Emmanuel Clark was one that really set the schooling system into place for our county here. Um, stuff like that makes me ponder, like, not to knock anyone's job today, but are we keeping up with impacting 
society and, and being that impactful movement uh, wow. that we have in the past. Um, so I guess I view it as less ego as more as am I, am I doing my part? Um, Absolutely. I don't know. It, it's definitely something to ponder. Well, it's, it's important to really see how the, these brothers were influential and how you can be influential as well. Cause they were, exactly. they were putting on their pants and shirts just like we are today. It's yeah. knowing there's, you know, if anything, we're luckier because there's more information, more access to information and we could get things done faster sure. than they could. So to sit and, and ponder on like, oh, we're, we will never live up to those standards. It's just an easy cop out and way out where we should be saying, well, how can we exceed those standards and have a bigger impact, not just within the lodge bubble, but in the community around us and then beyond. And I think right. that's the next level that masonry needs to be looking at. But I think part of it is because a lot of us don't understand the history and where we come from and how just in your own home lodge, there is that seed in there that you mm -hmm. that that sprouted at one point, but maybe right now it's not really flowering and it should be up to the leadership of the lodge to help flower that seed and inspire the brothers of that lodge that, yeah, it is important that you're here. It is important that you preserve these this building and grow from it and take it out into the world around you. Because it's a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk so much about, you know, I, I guess the, the, the business side of it and, and growing and understanding that foundation and some guys shy away from the history and you don't have to be a history nerd, but I think it is important to understand what's there um, because just knowing you have a foundation doesn't mean a whole lot. Unless yeah, you know how that foundation is built, it's hard to grow upon it, you know, upon it appropriately. You're absolutely right. I was I was not a history nerd, and this made me a history nerd. And I think it's not even that. It's the idea of under if you at a lodge really enjoy and love your brothers, that means that you probably are committing some sort of interpersonal relationship with them. And that's the same thing I found when I was researching these brothers from our past history. Like, oh, who were these men? You know, what were right. they about? How were they different or not from me or us? You know, how did the times really challenge them to persevere and really create these things that, you know, 20, 50, 100 years later, I'm looking at them for as as inspiration and for guidance sure. to see how they got through it. And that's that to me is that it's, it's not even the historical perspective. It's just the 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 human impact that you can have starting with this foundation that we call Freemasons. 100%. Have you noticed uh, in your experience kind of a, a humbling factor from that, getting to know the human side of some of these brothers? Because, you know, I, I know when I was early on it, I would look at these guys almost in an idolistic manner, like, you know, just wow. And you lose sight of that human side of them and the struggles, but sometimes it comes into play. Like, for example, is a more modern example, but uh, when I first got into masonry, we were trying to revamp the kitchen area, and we we'd made this big list of all these you know updates we wanted to do, and yada yada yada. And then we started in on it, and the first day we start in on it, we find a list under the plates in the cabinet that was almost identical to ours from 15 years earlier. <laughs> it was just kind of like, 
our problems are nothing new, you know? <laughs> that is humbling. And I think that is the humbling part where I get an office, an officer complaining about the time and having a, a kid at home and having to work yeah. nine to five. And I'm like, well, look at this brother, you know, um, brother Burns, see, was he was a two-time past master. When right. he was master, because I read his history, he had just gotten a divorce and became a single dad with three kids and was an aerospace engineer. Yeah. You're telling me that he didn't have that he did not have time to come to the lodge right. and do the same job that you're doing. You know, so then it kind of puts you in place in a way. Like if they were able to get it done, what's stopping you from getting it done? How much do you really care? Yeah. How much how much passion do you have for it to say, I'll prioritize it at this point of my life? Not that your family has to come second, but you have to you have to figure out your own time management skills and and how to maneuver through all that stuff to really at least pretend like you're making it a priority. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, behind those fancy, elegant patina photos, there was real struggle there and there's struggle today. And it's, it's, it's part of that overall mission to continue and continue to grow. And we've joined up to be a part of that and, and keep it going. But you know, some, you know, did you, have you noticed that the ones that really wanted to preserve their lodge history, made sure they left enough information out there so mm. you and i'm not talking about the minutes beyond the minutes so you could find right. it and say oh this there's some years that i've noticed there was there's more documentation left behind than other years which i find it very interesting how there were some masters that had more pictures taken more letters written more correspondences done bigger trestle boards and then right. there's other years where there's nothing, there's nothing, no information out there. And yeah. Like, and what, it, happened? what happened that year? And it's it like, makes you wonder, people... but it also brings up the humanistic side of what we see modern day, right? Like we, we have masters that are all out and on top of it and just, you know, so professional. And then you got guys that will get in there and well, that was cool. Meeting's over. Let's go. And there's, yeah. you know, <laughs> and you have that ebb and flow of substance. Uh, but if you're looking at these documents long enough, you start to conceptualize that and start filling in mm -hmm. the blanks, right? You start saying, all right, he didn't really want to do much this year, but these, this other one did. Wow. Like, look at all this stuff. Look at all these images. Look at, look at the way he speaks in his, in his trestle board when he's sending his master's message every month. Like, this is interesting how yeah. the dynamics shift from master to master. And it's very telling with what they leave behind those archeological artifacts, which is mostly their written word that is left behind that tells you right. how much they were enjoying the journey and the position and how much, or how much they were just trying to get over it. Isn't it a cool aspect to look back at some of these minutes and see that, actual handwriting like it, it's a whole nother level of getting to know that brother you're not just seeing typed words on a paper like it's it's personal it's intimate you're you're seeing his hands or his pin stroke you know absolutely i did that for um i was doing in the trestle board article during the pandemic and i wanted to go 100 years back to the spanish flu era which the lodge mm. was already around and yeah i read the minutes that were handwritten of that time and it was and it was interesting how they how they their how they approached it because they still had meetings but they were not allowed to have socials or degrees so you could still show up to lodge okay. have a stated meeting but that was it and so in the minutes they were just keeping track of all the pending brothers that were still waiting for the degrees or applications that were coming in but and were getting read but not really 
push moving forward in the degree work, but I really wish they would have been more detailed. I really wish Definitely. there would have been more, more information on how the outside world was really affecting what was going on in the lodge and not just let us intellectualize it through the minutes. Right. And I think oh, 100%. a very telling, I, I, something I wish going back, you know, in history that they could have done to illuminate us more on what, what they were going through and thinking about during these times. So that's why during the pandemic, I was still putting out trestle boards for the lodge and flooding them with more articles on what was going, what's going on outside of the lodge, because we're not meeting inside of the lodge and what brother caught it and what brother's getting vaccinated and all this. Like that's, that to me would be interesting if the lodge, hopefully knock on wood is still around a hundred years from now. And they look back at the trestle boards from this, you know, pandemic, what we were doing yeah. and how we were handling it and maybe help illuminate them better. Definitely. Definitely. You know, there, that's been a struggle that, you know, I face because I think so many people don't look at the minutes as to what they are. It's, you know, it's a formality, but at the end of the day, the minutes are historical record. That's their simple purpose. Um, and there's so many of them out there, both historically and modern uh, that are so cut and dry and they skip over that entire story behind it that, yeah, you don't need to be a novel writer, but give us some kind of a clue. <laughs> yeah, know? it's tough though, right? Because uh, I mean, the secretary is just trying to get all those the information that needs to be in, in there yeah. and do his job and not really think about, well, when these get read in 50 years or in 100 years, <laughs> exactly. what yeah. do I want him to take away from the meeting minutes from the February 2022 meeting? <laughs> I mean, that would be cool, right? But it's I think that's like the last thing on their mind, yeah. right? Well, it's probably only cool to guys like us that really yeah. want to know that information. You know, no one yeah. else cares, right? <laughs> Nobody else really cares. They're like, all right, let's get it over with. So you guys have had some really influential uh, names uh, through your halls throughout the years. Uh, we were looking over some of these uh, that were listed in the video. And, I mean, we're, we're looking at several guys that have served mayor, uh, first master, uh, Anzalito Longley served as a mayor. Anzalito Longley. Uh, yeah, in, in 1905. Uh, you had on here. Let me see. Uh, we, have, we had uh, about six. We've had about six of mayors from the city serve. Um, uh, Supreme, a couple of Supreme Court judges. Uh, there was um, a brother by the last name of Bush who was uh, principal of the local school who actually sadly was one of the first uh, school shootings that happened. Some guy came in and shot, started shooting and he got in the way, got, you know, got in his way and got shot. And I, but I believe he survived. And um, we had, yeah, we've had a mixed, a mixed eclectic group of brothers that have come through the lodge, which gives you that perspective that any one can be affected by this and any one can go out there and make a difference. And this is why at the 125th anniversary, we created a video archive project where we took a poll from the lodge and asked them, can you nominate uh, three brothers that are still alive that we can interview for this video archive and we'll pick the top 13 and video record them and ask them about their experience at the lodge, their memories of the I lodge love that. taken away from the lodge. 
And that's what we did. We got the 13 names. We interviewed them and then and then cut like five. We've been still cutting. We're not even done yet with all 13 of them. Uh, but we cut we cut snippets of their sound bites and played them at the 125th anniversary. And what's so fascinating now is that about four or five of them from that list have passed away. Mm. So when we have their a memorial for them, we actually show their interview that they did at the lodge. That's cool. And that's really moving and it, it sets a whole different tone for this little video project that we thought about doing for the 125th anniversary that we thought every 25 years we should add to this list. So in a hundred years, we have a full breath on video of the brothers that were around the hallways of this lodge. And so that would be a cool thing to see it through as long as I'm alive and around at the lodge and right. see how, far, how much it could grow and expand. But I think that's really like so different from reading whatever they write about on the trestle board to seeing them, hearing them explain things to you and how they felt about the lodge and masonry when when they first joined, while they were in it, when they became masters of the lodge afterwards, and how they've seen the lodge change over the years. You know, because we, I mean, one brother was a master in the 1960s, you know, so it's a great perspective to have in place and, and see the lodge's evolution through those times. So that's kind of like cool, I think. I think that- Oh, I love that. Can afford and have the manpower to do that. I highly right. advise them to go do it. I love that. So looking through here, some of some of the most influential names uh, that just really caught me, uh, caught my attention here. Uh, we've got Brother Robert Case, who was uh, early American occultist, a big author. He founded the Boda, B-O-T-A. Uh, See, obviously, we talked about the the yes. mayors. We had the tallest Mason raised, listed at eight feet tall, brother Jason, or I'm sorry, John Ason. Yes, he was an actor, I believe, yes. Speaking of that, you had the director of the Dracula film. How uh, cool Browning, is that? Yeah, that was kind of cool. I did a whole press board article on him when I found that out. I actually, you would like this. I found his original application in our filing cabinet. No way. From the because he he was from a lodge merger, and so we okay. came, I believe it was from from uh, Highland Park Lodge, and and I go I know we have those filing cabinets with all of these applications still there. And long behold, I went and I looked, and I took a picture, posted it on the trestle board with an article. But yeah, he joined he joined when he joined the lodge in the he it was around 1920 around that era that he or time that he joined the lodge, the lodge and became a master mason i believe within a year and i went and, so I, cool. and i wanted to go back and find the minutes to see who showed up to his third degree right like who, right who in the in the film industry was popping in to see this brother because he didn't do dracula until the 30s he was a silent movie director through the course of the 20s an actor actually and then right. in the 30s he is when the Dracula, he did this movie called Freaks that became this like has become a cult classic, but actually it was banned like it was for like 30 years about uh, carnival circus freaks. We, we, and he hired actual um, uh, freakish looking people, I guess, <laughs> <But especially excited laughs> to be actors in this. And that and that freaked a lot of people out and they pulled it 
and that kind of became the downward spiral to his to his career in Hollywood after that. But he's a very interesting character, and if it, anybody wants to read up on him, they should. They should. But That's unfortunately, fantastic. I never saw. I tried to I, through the minutes. He would. Ju- he showed up for like that next year, and he became one of those masons that ju- just disappeared. He didn't get involved. Didn't become an officer. Didn't become a lodge master. He just. Because back in the day, I think it was also this networking thing, right? Oh, definitely. We'll trust you more, and so you want to be with that group of boys. So that's let let's let's go let's go put you in the club. And I think this was the one of the reasons. Um, speculating he probably ended up joining because he never really got involved with masonry and there's no bio or there's no um diary or journal by him or interviews where he's talking about masonry anywhere so it's interesting i wonder who his masonic friends were but right that so so you bring up that point of, of, of kind of that inside club and, and it makes me wonder because south pasadena is just right outside of los angeles and with that being, you know, huge movie scene from then to today, how has that kind of played in? I mean, obviously, it's working to your guys' benefit. You know, <laughs> with uh, with the lodge videos, you guys have a ton of uh, a ton of talent there. But we're seeing all these influential uh, characters. How has that movie industry or just that that media industry in general played into masonry in the in your area? It's 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 there, but it's hard because you have to understand that. In, in theory, in fantasy, you'd say, wow, you know, where is uh, we actually talked about creating a small lodge that it was going to be just only filmmakers would be part of this. Oh, OK, <laughs> like, like a little city lodge. Yes, like a craft lodge, like only you had to be accredited filmmaker or actor. And this is right. how you got. But the reality is that if you're a working filmmaker, you're working 10, 12 hours a day. When true, are you yeah. going to have time for the lodge? And you think back to Harry, brother Harry Houdini's lodge in New York. They had the lodge that was made up of theater craftspeople, and right. they ha- they got a special dispensation to meet in the middle of the day during lunch and not in the evenings or night because everybody was working in theater, and that's the only way they were able to pull off that that theater lodge that they formed was because they had all had to work at night. So right. here with this kind of industry, if you really wanted influential filmmakers, like you're not going to get them because they're all working, you know? So that's where you have people that do join that are filmmakers, actors, but you kind of, you know, if they're known, it's sort of not discussed. They're, they're closed um, um, uh, uh, degree nights, if you will. Like it's like, sure for the brothers of that lodge and the officers only. And like, they, you know, swear not to say anything because of the, the person's reputation. And they really are doing it for the right reasons and not just maybe what brother and brother Brown Browning era, Browning's era for the networking. They really want to know what this philosophical approach is all about. So, yeah. so it's not really um, discussed loudly if that sure. happens, which is respectful. Then I totally, agree with that but it would really shed a different perspective or a bigger perspective or more publicity for the craft but it makes sense like you think about it today with you know celebrities and stuff that are in masonry 
Yeah, that, that probably wouldn't be loudly talked about because the last thing they want is 50 brothers coming to every lodge meeting and kind of ruining their Masonic experience. They want to come be with their brothers and be low key. And nobody wants a, a big red carpet event at their lodge meeting. <laughs> you know? yeah, You're just trying to have an intimate experience. And in, in, in this day and age, if you, you sneeze the wrong way, everybody hears yeah. it. And then you don't want to be the, the, the rotten apple for masonry all of a sudden. Right. They use that's a good point. And they and they smear it on your face. Well, he's a Mason. So no wonder, you know, that's sure. also another reason why I think they're very more protective about it and not um, bold and open and and public with it. Definitely. Yeah. Now, earlier on, you you mentioned, I believe you said 16 different lodges have merged 13. with you guys. 13 yeah. different lodges. That, that's a large number. Uh, I know through our history, we've had two and we have a hard time keeping up with that. 13 lodges merging with you guys. Do you guys have the, the records of all those lodges or how's that work out? Uh, yeah. And I, well, you know, there's a few reasons why lodges end up merging with other lodges. One, they don't have enough officers to run a lodge sure. uh, with, a, uh, I think two lodges, there were structural, there was structural damage and they couldn't afford to retrofit their lodges. And they also were probably were a little low on numbers. So instead of just meeting at our lodge, they said, well, you're cool guys. We'll just merge together and have a bigger, stronger lodge, or so they thought. And um, officers, money to pay for the building is another reason why some of these lodges closed down and they are looking for a, another lodge to join. And if you think about um, the golden era of masonry in the 50s, I mean, there were more lodges sprouting out in every city, especially out here in LA County. There was one, I mean, there was a stipulation that it that the only reason you could join a lodge outside of your city was because there wasn't a lodge in your city back in the day. Like if there was a lodge in your city, that's the lodge you had to join. You couldn't come and join the yeah. lodge in your neighborhood city because why would you do that? So that's, that's how many lodges there were now. Uh, but in that sort of um, quantity of masonry, not that the, they couldn't uphold it through the years, and now they've merged into these, into our, into other lodges like ours, and you have less lodges, which is sad because you've lost Masonic buildings out there to to appreciate, you know. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think yeah, we we had that same thing here in Kansas as well. And I'm not, I can't remember the year it kind of cut off to where you could join any lodge you wanted to, but lodges had jurisdiction and you know, it was lines divided on a map. And if you fell in this area, it's kind of like a, a your kids going to local school, you know, you were in the jurisdiction of this lodge, it's the only one you could join. Man, I, I could not imagine that being a thing today, as selective as guys are, and you for good reason, trying to find the lodge that best fits you. Uh, but it's the way it was. And but I think that that's going to be interesting, especially, well, I mean, out here for sure, like the, there's there's at least two or three lodges that close every year, it seems like. Yeah. And that with that, their buildings go too. So in 10, 15 years, how many lodge buildings are going to be around that we are going to be able to say, oh, that's a Masonic temple there. You know, nowadays you can't really uh, start a lodge and have the funds to buy a plot of land and build on it to create... Right. A new lodge building would be great, but nobody has in Jesus in at least 40, 50 years out here build a build right. a lodge. The Grand Lodge just build their own within the Grand Lodge building a uh, lodge. 
a lodge room and that happened two three three years before right before the pandemic which is a cool small little lodge room and it was nicely decked out it almost looks like like a start if there was the star the, the star trek enterprise if that shit yeah. had a lodge in it this is what it would look like the ge the geometry that they played with yes. very it's very unconventional <laughs> but pretty cool uh the way they did it but and that's and that's going to house like five lodges to meet there in the san francisco area okay so, so that's interesting that it's 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 going more into that whole east coast and and european um model right where you have one building and you have like five seven lodges meeting different days of the week right in that building and is that is that is that good is that bad i don't know i think the jury is still out on it there's something to be said about having your own identity with a building that your four brothers help put together but there's also something that sets to say that there that you know the more lodges that meet in that building the more variety a person has to figure out which lodge he fit he best fits into right yeah it, it's definitely a double-edged sword topic that I, I i don't know if there is a right answer to it you know it yeah but yeah. you know as as you mentioned losing you know x amount of lodges a year and kind of going through that and the loss of our temples we, we've had this conversation before but i don't know where you guys are at in california here in kansas where our average membership ages within the next decade decade and a half it's going to look entirely different and we're going to be faced with some decisions you know at a moment's notice that uh, we've never been faced with before because we're we're going to be losing members at such a rapid rate and then i mean you look at our average attendance and some of these guys are really up there so even if they're still living they're going to start coming less then you're not able to open lodge anymore and yeah within the next 10 to 20 years masonry is going to take a change and i don't know that's that's going to be interesting to see in real time but how we respond to that yeah. is, is going to be interesting well, it's going to be, it's going to really, it's really going to really fall on the quality of, of Masons. That yes. It's going to, it's going to carry the craft through. That's how I'm kind of seeing it fold out, right? It's like the, that quality of, of, of brother is what's going to keep the craft alive and not really the, the quantity, the numbers, because the numbers, right. I mean, they're good at first, but then once, but if you don't find a way to keep those numbers going then you're left with vacant buildings losing buildings you know mem half member lodges that need to merge somewhere else because they have nobody else to carry them through and that's 100%. where you can't let let your bridges as they say go to high because you think you're doing great we're in the golden era of masonry we're fine nobody's going to touch us and you lose sight of what is important and that is taking the next generation and fostering through the whole the whole process and having them carry the baton but if you decide to skip a generation because you don't want those hippies coming into your lodge you know then <laughs> what happens so we have to evolve i think that is the lesson with this it's like you have to evolve and you have to work with the changing times or else you're not going to be around so are you that bold and egotistic that you rather bury it and let it die than say hey come on in let me learn more about you so you can learn more about and isn't that that's a great point isn't that what brotherly love is all about and understanding your fellow man and your neighbor i mean if we're about those those standards why are we are are we living up to them 
are we reaching out and leave, living, living up to them? And that's the question that every Mason and every lodge needs to ask itself. Because if you're suffering, let's kind of, let's look backwards and see how you got here. What Definitely. Happened, right? Well, brother, I want to kind of move the conversation into modern day and understand where your lodge has came from and where it's going. But we are at that nine o'clock hour. So I want to pause for a second. Uh, we always do our traditional 9 p.m. toast on here, uh, Historical Light. And my brother, if you don't mind, I was going to see if you would offer a toast for us this evening. Sure. Got a little toast for you. Uh, let's see. Uh, to brotherly love, relief, truth, to our family, friends, and brothers near and far, to peace where there is war, to love where there is fear. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, you brought up some excellent points there. <coughs> Pardon me. <laughs> that one hit pretty good. Yeah, excellent, excellent points there that we're definitely going to, to have to face in each one of our lodges, each one of our situations. And I think they're all going to be slightly different, but open hearts and open minds are going to be that that key tool that... I think it's going to be the only tool layered, yeah. layered afterwards with education and understanding of the craft. You know, you, 100%. It's, it's, a, it's important to be able to deliver a great, beautiful, almost perfect degree. But if there's no follow through with the degree, then what, what, what foundation is this man slash brother going to have to carry it through within the lodge and outside of the lodge into this, the community, family, work, and all those things. And I think that is the next step that I know you you're seeing it you know be getting getting more attention is the education side of masonry 100 cons yeah. to that to the lectures to each lodge taking on a responsibility to educate each brother I think that's going to be what's going to start separating the, the the doers from the not doers in lodges because I mean you can only learn how to cook a steak so many ways before you say okay I can just be <laughs> home doing this which is important. Yeah. I am not, I am not showing you. I love our socials. I love the social nights, but that is not going to keep the lodge alive. Right. And that's what all of our brothers need to understand. And we try, and that's what we try to do at our lodge from the get go is get the new, new members to understand the importance of their involvement, their contribution, their legacy, their history, that they are just going to start to lay down at this lodge and the follow through that they need to have, that they need to have for it. You know, we don't Definitely. want to use this as a side club that you could just come and go whenever you want. There's plenty of those out there. We really want you to use this as your second home, but treat it like your first home as well. Right. And that's what we want to implement with the men that join our lodge. And we hope that's the attitude with other lodges out in the, in the stratosphere of masonry. So we, we talked earlier about, you know, respecting and understanding the history and that, that foundation that our lodges are built upon. And, and we, we've really covered here where South Pasadena Lodge has came from and, and covered that foundation of what it's built upon. Uh, I want to kind of bridge that gap into having you paint a picture of who and where South Pasadena Lodge is today. Um, what, what's that makeup look like? What do you guys 
have in the mix and what, what are your plans uh, for the future? Cool. Uh, well, you know, we, we definitely, it, South Pass is becoming a very eclectic lodge, brothers from different mm. races, religious beliefs, uh, economic bearings. Like they've they've come to the lodge and you know searching for that connection, and that kind of goes back to that kind of Fight Club uh, theme, right? Of of mentorship, right? Especially the younger men that come to the lodge, they really are looking for some sort of inspiration to to inspire them to become better versions of themselves. And I think that becomes our duty as the senior members of the lodge, not to hold their hands and become their surrogate fathers or older, older brothers in a way, but to be able to just give them that understanding of these are the tools. Let me, ex mm -hmm. we've presented them to you in a degree. Now let's further explain them to you. So we know that you understand them and you could use these tools for the greater good or the greater evil. And we hope we've instilled enough sure. to you to use them for the greater good and contribute something positive to the community. All of you, every one of us has got a gift and we're all special in some way, shape or form. You just have to find that and open it up and let it grow and blossom so we can all feel that light in you, if you, for lack of a better term, to spread out. And, and and these tools can help if you wish, if, if you desire to apply them. And this is how we've learned to apply them. And so the makeup is a, a lot, getting a lot more younger and which is also kind of dangerous because it's, you know, they're still layering certain chapters of their lives. They're going to get married soon. They're having families. They're getting their careers off the ground. So that, so that influence is even much more there's, there's much more pressure to deliver it correctly and not give them any false information, which we definitely don't do. We just want to make sure that they have the truth and understanding of it to be able to be productive and use it for the best. Um, so our educational in the past 10 years side has definitely been amplified a lot with the incoming members. We're able to cluster them now into classes where we have a group of either three to eight you know, entered apprentices in that one year that we were are able to bring speakers to to talk about the different aspects of their degree that they just received. We have them, they give us presentations on a symbol of the first degree that inspired them and how they are going to apply it to their lives. So they're Beautiful. thinking critically on how these symbols actually can be applied to them personally. And let me tell you, that's part of our uh, Masonic education at our stated meetings. So every stated meeting, there's one inner apprentice that gets up and delivers his paper or his presentation. And How cool is that? I mean, sometimes we end up learning more about that symbol than we thought. Yeah, we right. From their I perspective, see that. and that's so powerful. That's so crazy that they are able to school us on how they're interpreting that symbol and how they want to apply it to their lives. So if you're able to do this, then then why aren't more lodges doing this? Why are more lodges implementing this? Because we see that these members are getting this sort of education, are feeling the 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 truth of the the philosophy in masonry, and and respect it even more, and also want to come back and contribute to it and foster it. And that's the foundation that we want to grow at our lodge. So we have a bunch of educated, if you will 
masons that are able to educate the generations after us because we're not going to be around forever right right and and i mean i don't we don't we shouldn't like we i mentioned before we shouldn't be biased but open about why are you here what are you looking for because this is what we can offer you but is this really what you can commit to because this is about your own self-improvement and if you don't have the time for it then you're you we're not going to excuse you out of the lodge you're just not going to show up anymore and why waste right. your time and our time in the process right if you're really ready and you can commit the time then let's do it if you're not then the lodge is always going to be here whenever you are ready come by we'll be here 100 percent. there is it's that open candor that candor that that has them going oh wow like okay so there's something here and i should be prepared for it am i so there's a lot of introspection that happens before you actually throw down your application and we start giving you your your degrees at our lodge um but it doesn't help if they go to another lodge that's a you know fork and knife if you will lodge and they get handed an application as soon as they walk in and ask for it after their first dinner at the lodge right and this is where a lot of us need to get on the same page on how important it is to guard the west gate and mm -hmm. get to know have an interpersonal relationship with that man that's coming through your door that wants to join the fraternity because once you accept him we all accept him for sure you know? but yes it's grow it's it's evolving from a more that whole educational historical side uh, understanding with the new membership and 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 yeah i mean yeah <laughs> so you you guys held a spml masonicon which yes. went over amazingly huge unfortunately i didn't get to make it out for it but i heard nothing but rave reviews about it and i want to know how did that come about uh, as, a, as a lodge project and how did that impact your lodge and kind of you know where did the lodge go from after that uh well we well obviously we were inspired by brian simmons and our brothers from you know attleboro massachusetts uh their 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 baby their masonicon and my thought was like, what? We have, it's a riff on Comic-Con, which started here in San Diego in California. And not one Mason has thought of doing a Masonicon in the state of <laughs> And so, so that's really what inspired it. And we had enough, um, we had done enough work with the Illumination Lecture Series that we knew we could get notable speakers to come out. But also we had filmmakers out here that had done projects that were must either either were done by several Masons in like one project, like whether Eval Johnson did this film called High and Outside, and there were like seven, eight Masons, mostly right. from our lodge that worked on that project. So let's show it and have a Q&A with him to discuss, you know, that, that his film and the connections they had with Masonry. And that was a standard we set up. Either A, you were, uh, you had Masons that worked on it and it was a Masonically produced production, if you will, or it was Masonic, there was Masonic, there were Masonic themes to it. So we were going to have screenings at our Masonicon along with the speakers and the panels and the vendors and the big seven course festive board. It was going to be a full blown weekend. We almost were going to do it for four days, but it was just going to be too tough on people to commit four days. Sure. And I'm used to going to film festivals where you're up till two, three in the morning watching films and you're loving it. Right. But, uh, sitting to listen to seven eight speakers in one day sometimes get it could get taxing on people and 
they need that that difference, you know, the variety to sort of keep their attention span flowing and not burn them out with too much too much light. Is there such a thing as too much light, Alex? I you know that some people say that, right? <laughs> I can't seem to be getting enough, but you know, I, I think you guys hit it just right on the head because guys like Robert Johnson came back from that event and that was the first thing he said is this is the key. This is the ticket, this multi-day event, the way they had it laid out. They're like, this is where we got to do it. And I know he modeled Masonic on Chicago pretty closely after you guys, uh, because your guys's event impacted him so well. And I, I think that's beautiful. You know, you, you find those, those parts that can be improved upon and continue to build in, guys did a phenomenal job do you do you plan to do another one in the future is that in the works yeah this year this year you're probably going to get you're going to hear a lot about it come april uh by Fantastic. july 22nd 23rd and 24th will be the weekend where we'll be doing we'll be uh we were going to do it every other year to give us enough time to build it up but because of the pandemic it kicked us three years so now it's going to fall this year july 22nd 23rd 24th 24th the theme is going to be masonry in the new millennium uh so Love we will that. be announcing the speakers of that of of, of the selected speakers uh pretty soon and the tickets are probably going to go on sale uh in may around may may end of may i think it's it, it's going to be a short window of sales we can only fit about uh 200 people at our lodge and we really don't want to go to another venue because it's more controlled within the lodge so once those 200 tickets are sold they're they're sold they're done there you go it's it's a closed it's shut down and we're still um gonna get uh screenings part of it uh lounge lounge and vendors we're still debating i think the last time we did them it was like cool but it was it necessary did we need them it was one of those things where there was so much going on that 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 the the common cards coming back were more about we want more chill time. We want to hang out with our brothers more. There's so many brothers from all over the state and country that we would like more time to hang out with with them and get to know them than sure. going into another screening, going into another lecture. And that's where I think we're, we're focusing in a little bit more on to see if that works. Because as you and I know, when we go to these things, it's always the highlight are the experiences and the memories we have from meeting other brothers and discussing definitely yeah working or not working at their respective lodges and and learning from those experiences and i think that that if there's anything you learn from going to a masonic con esoteric on masonic restoration foundation is the tools from other lodges that are working or are not working to implement in your lodge to help masonry as a whole in general right 100 100 percent. well my brother you have completely sold me i need to come visit your lodge now uh gonna have to make that yeah i'm gonna have to make that a point to uh to get out and see you guys maybe from masonic con i'll have to put that on the list but i really really appreciate you coming on this evening and sharing uh the beautiful history uh that makes up south pasadena lodge and i want to give you a chance uh for uh, any final comments and plugs uh sure you can follow uh south pasadena at south pasadena290.org that is the web our website um the, the south pasadena lodge on instagram and on facebook 
also the research lodge that meets at the South Pasadena Temple, theresearchlodge.com. Follow us uh, at that website or SoCal Research Lodge. Or if you, type, if you type in Fraternal Review on Instagram, it'll pop up either way. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's, that's where you can find us. Fantastic. I'll be sure to get those links from you and we'll put those in the comments below. So if you guys want to hit those up, uh, we'll get those added in there for you for easy, convenient access. My brother, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on Historical Light and share the powerful history of South Pasadena Lodge. Uh, has blown me away. Your guys' history, like I said, has sold me and I've got to make it out there to see this uh, see this lodge in person and, and spend some time with the brothers. So hopefully thank I'll be there one day soon. Thank you for having me on here. I always love chatting with you. It never feels like there's enough time when you and I talk. So anytime you want to continue talking, just let me know. I'll be more than happy to come back on and discuss whatever you want to discuss further, for sure. And thank you for the work that you're doing because it's a lot of thankless time that you put into it. And I know it's a lot of work and it's people like you that keep masonry alive and the history of it thriving and, and the understanding and the love and respect for it going. So, you know, you ought to pat yourself on the back for all the hours that you put in to masonry in your state, for sure, that has helped define it and put it on the map for us that don't live there to understand it. Kudos to you, brother. Thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you for that, brother. I really appreciate it. And the feeling's mutual, man. Always, always enjoy having the opportunity to sit down with you. So we will be sure to have you back on this show again in the near future. And uh, I want to thank everyone for joining us live this evening. And uh, for everyone that will catch this in the future uh, on our recorded episodes, we'll have this up on the podcast uh, within the next day or two. And until next time, guys, take it easy out there. And we will see you right back here on Historical Light. Have a good night, everybody.